and now it's dark. Hey, Tim, nice to see you again, man. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> it definitely has been a little while. Um, you know, I think you and I have been sort of, you know, keeping our distance a little bit. and uh, Hunkering you know, down. Hunkering down, exactly. But it's, it's good to finally be back. It's good to finally do something today. Yeah, and the reason why we're back is, I guess, because of the only real big movie in theaters these days. Tenet. Tenet. Yeah, Tenet. Yeah. Um, I got the gesture and the word for you right here. Uh, this is one. This is one that came out uh, a little bit before it did stateside. Yeah. You know, we are based in Asia. Yeah, that's right. It was August twenty sixth. August twenty sixth, but just in time for Korea's second wave <laughs> to get going. So I know you saw it before me. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. I ended up seeing it twice. Uh, the second time in IMAX. Mm-hmm. I, I was a big fan uh, of each experience, and I. Actually, because I saw it before you, I ended up making a separate YouTube essay on Tenet. Yeah, that's and, right. And Christopher Nolan's films more generally. So be sure to check that out on our YouTube channel mm-hmm. if you're curious about that. And there will be plenty of spoilers in what follows. So make sure you've already watched Tenet. It's kind of, it's weird because it's kind of a movie that you can't spoil because it's so complex. Yeah. But I definitely wouldn't want to know what we're about to say before I watched it the first time. Yeah, it's also hard to talk about the stuff that goes in, that goes on in the movie without spoiling stuff. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like a a lot of the concept behind it is tied directly to the events of the movie. Yeah, and even if you aren't, you know, the plot is so complicated, so even if we don't end up spoiling the plot so much for you, like just seeing those action sequences for the first time, they're so thrilling. Like yeah. I wouldn't have wanted anyone to tell me what I was about to see before I saw it. Yeah, definitely one of those movies that it's good. The less you know, the better. Yeah. How much How much of a movie do you like to, to know about before you go into it? I like maybe watching a, a trailer if it's not too revealing, mm. if it doesn't give away too much about the film. Yeah. And maybe reading like a, a really... I guess, bare bones article about it. Just like what the movie is maybe about and what the plan is and maybe an interview with the director. But that's, even that's a stretch. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of about it for me. I think I only watched one trailer for Tenet and I was was good. You know what I mean? Just, I I don't need to see any more. All I needed to know is that it's kind of vaguely Inception-ish. Right, right. And Christopher Nolan is one of the few directors where you will be excited about his new movie regardless of what it is simply because it's a Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah, right. He's one of those those few people where... You will go see it because the director's name, right? Is like on the Tarantino, poster. Paul Thomas Anderson, yeah, kind of right. the same thing that Kubrick had. You know, it's and I think maybe Denis Villeneuve is kind of increasingly becoming one of those mm-hmm. directors. The Coen Brothers, yeah. There's a lot of directors like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's actually his 11th feature film. I looked it up. If you were to describe this film, I mean, <laughs> one description I really liked was spy-fi spy-fi. in terms of its genre. Okay. Where, it is, where does the phi come in? Well, it's science fiction, right? Oh, oh, right. And it's also very much kind of his riff on a spy film, on the Bond series. It's like, imagine Christopher Nolan made a sci-fi kind of Bond film. That's not Moonraker. That's not Moonraker. <laughs> it doesn't have kind of the goofier qualities of some Bond films. Yeah. And it, he does it very much in his own style. I know he did want to sort of evoke the feeling of watching a James Bond movie. Right. Yeah, because he's a big fan of those. 
He said he deliberately didn't go back and rewatch the Bond films because yep. he'd seen them so many times. They mm-hmm. were kind of in his bones. Yeah. And he wanted to recapture the experience of what it was like as a kid to see them, kind of that magical feeling. Yeah, right. So I, I like that because he's, he's not making his own James Bond movie, though no doubt I'm sure he could do a really good job on it, but maybe kind of doing something that you know evokes, evokes that, uh, that sensation right. of watching one. Yeah. And in terms of the plot, it's it's roughly about an unnamed CIA agent who's played by John David Washington, who is recruited into a secret mission where he must manipulate time to prevent World War III. And in addition to Washington, it stars Robert Pattinson, Elizabeth Dubicki, who's extremely tall, Kenneth Branagh, <laughs> Dimple Capodella. Uh-huh. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And and others. Yeah. Uh, Michael Caine, of course, is in it. The guy from yesterday. Yeah, is right. In it. Yeah, he right. appears. He's he, such a cool actor, too. I know, right. And he just appeared out of nowhere. I was like, oh, that's the guy from yesterday. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And Elizabeth Dubicki, I mean, she's, uh, or Debicki. Uh-huh. She's, what, 6'3", at least? Yeah, she was. She was quite tall. Yeah. That is something you notice when you watch the movie is she is quite tall. I thought it was pretty cool, actually, because usually you don't see... Movies where the, you know, I guess the female is taller than the male hero character. Right, right, know? right. And some sometimes, like in the, the case of a Tom Cruise movie, they will deliberately try to make him look taller. Right, right. Yeah. And th- that's actually something I noticed in uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's Inherent Vice, where uh, Catherine Watterson is actually taller than Joaquin Phoenix, quite noticeably so. And mm. they just show it as is. I mean, he's, yeah. you know, probably... Oh, a good few inches shorter than her, if, if not half a foot, you know? I mean, yeah, I mean, what's what's the point in trying to hide it, you know? Yeah, yeah, it just kind of adds this like, oh, okay, well, that's interesting, whatever, <laughs> Yeah, you know? Yeah, right. And it certainly a, doesn't affect the, the going experience. No, it's no. Like, this would be great if she just wasn't so tall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it ruined the movie for yeah. me. <laughs> it, it is, according to Nolan, his most ambitious film to date as well it, it has his largest budget ever uh, over 200 million yeah apparently yeah. and it, it spans i think seven countries mm-hmm. so very much a, a pre-covid movie and and it has that kind of james bond globe trotting sort of feel mm. yeah it's interesting you mentioned that it's the pre-covid thing because this was one where i was watching in theaters and thought you know if COVID and, and masks become just part of daily life. Like you think about some some kids right now, mm-hmm. who are like maybe five years old, and like in whatever, 10 years from now when they're watching this movie, they're going to be so puzzled by it. They'd be like, right. oh, all these people, right. they're, just, they're just talking so close to each other and <laughs> they're not wearing masks. And like but, this is, there's so many people there, you know? When they're inverted, they do wear masks. So, I mean, maybe that kind of plays into it as well. I, uh, yeah. I felt like there were some unintentional kind of COVID references. Oh, yeah? You know, when, he, when everyone has to wear the oxygen masks mm. when they're inverted. Right. I kind of like instantly thought of COVID, right? True, yeah. I, but I mean, I think he was just so busy making it throughout 2019 that I don't, I don't think that was really part of it. No, it wasn't intentional. Right. But I thought it was interesting that it had that added kind of dimension. True, yeah. Yeah, and it still, you know, did make people harder to understand. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just, like, yes. just like sometimes these masks do. Right, right. And, and speaking of COVID, I mean, it ended up delaying the movie three times. Yeah. The film was finally released, as we said, in late August in, in Korea and in certain countries. I know Canada, for example, it was released yep. there. Uh, but it has been released later in in other places especially in the states and you know in new york and la it still hasn't opened Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's a huge kind of gamble in in terms of Nolan's sort of strategy here. And before we get into kind of whether it was a success or not, uh, what was it like watching Tenet in the middle of a global pandemic? Because I know you were you were pretty reticent, understandably, mm. to go to the theaters and see it. I think a lot of people were. Yeah, right. Um, well, yeah, it, it, I felt a little bit better about it after the, the second wave in Korea started to decline a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so my wife and I went out to the IMAX to go see it. And I intentionally booked in advance. I chose a seat that was in like the top right corner. Right. You know, so I mean, no one was around us. And because there were only so many seats in that particular section and they were, you know, they were spacing the seats out. No one was sitting on our row at all. Right. Um, and no one was sitting above us either. Right. So I, I felt OK. The thing that spooked me was there was a story that like 50 people got infected uh, at a Starbucks. Yeah. Through the air con. Yeah. So that was the thing that I was kind of most worried about was, you know, people eating and drinking and stuff and you know, it's not knowing beforehand that that was possible. Right. But it is. And, uh, but you know, obviously I'm fine now, so it's, it's all good, but that's, that's kind of what it was like. I was just being, trying to be as cautious as possible. Yeah. There was almost this added risk, uh, which kind of in a weird way got translated to excitement Mm. in a weird way, because, you know, you're watching this movie that's very exciting, very suspenseful. It's got a lot of great action scenes, Mm -hmm. but in the back of your mind, you're like, I could be risking my own life to see this movie. I mean, it's a small yeah. risk comparatively because yeah. the numbers are pretty low in Korea. And, you know, when I was the both times I went to see it in a theater, I'm pretty sure almost everyone had their masks on the whole time. Right, right. And I, I think that's the way it is here. I mean, you can really just count on people wearing the masks. Yeah, there uh, are a few exceptions. Here. Sure. But it it felt much safer, for example, than being in a restaurant where people take off their masks yep. as soon as they eat. Yeah. But- you know, there is this kind of unconscious or or in some cases conscious sort of risk factor that played into the experience. And also I was just kind of thinking, especially the first time I watched it, like, I will remember this. Mm. You know, like whether Tenet ends up being this classic film or not, right. this moment in time, I'm going to remember this because it's just... It's such a bizarre sort of thing. It's almost like something out of a sci-fi movie. Right, right. Um, it is an absolute bizarre time. But yeah, you definitely will remember doing things like I went to the movies to, uh, during COVID and right. you know, kind of in the back of my mind, it made me wonder if it was worth it, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Yeah, you're right. That is something that we'll remember. And Chris Nolan and, and Warner Brothers must be asking themselves the, the same question because it was kind of a risky gambit to release it when he did mm. and the way he did. I mean, there was an, almost a, an unprecedented amount of expectation placed in the film because theater revenues have been declining. I mean, in a lot of cases, people just can't go to the theaters. Mm-hmm. There's no movies to show there. So theaters are in a lot of trouble. And Tenet has kind of been propped up as like the savior of theaters, the one film that could possibly bring audiences back and save the industry. Yeah, and in, in Korea, it was Bando. It was Peninsula. Right. Uh, like, just locally, that was kind of what, the way that people were looking at Peninsula was... The sequel to Train to Busan. Yeah, that's right. The sequel to Train to Busan, that, that was kind of going to be the big sort of, um, you know, cinema savior. Yeah. Uh, with Tenant maybe kind of helping it boost it even further. Um, but I think, yeah, in the States, you know, Peninsula is kind of a second thought. For instance, yeah, and even here, like I think a lot of people were pretty disappointed with it. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't great. Yeah, yeah, kind of very lukewarm reception. But it do- doesn't mean that people didn't go see it. Right. Yeah, but um, yeah, maybe Tenet 
not quite the the big savior as as many as people might have thought. Yeah, it's really tough to gauge because I mean, so far the critics who have seen it because there are some like I think Anne Hornaday at the Washington Post mm-hmm. who wrote a non-review of why she didn't go see it. Right. Uh but for the theaters or the critics who did see it in theaters, the film has a 72% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, 69% on Metacritic. And as of this recording on September 24th, the film has made $251 million globally and $36 million in the U.S. Uh, it's worth noting again that theaters in New York and California aren't even open yet. Those are huge industries yeah, in the States. huge markets. Uh, but a lot of commentators have been kind of quick to label the film a flop. Hmm. And okay. This hasn't exactly been helped by Warner Brothers. They were pretty opaque in terms of the numbers they released. They kind of lumped together Canada and America in terms of the the first week sales or first weekend sales. They were kind of misleading a little bit. And they haven't, at, at least in the early days, they weren't exactly clear on how much it was making in North America. But then again, like what's the standard? It's a global pandemic. I mean, theaters, one, can't open to full capacity because of social distancing rules. And two, even when they can open, there's a lot of places where people just don't feel safe, Mm. you know, especially in the States. Yeah, right. So how do you even quantify success at a time like this? I mean, even in Korea, where, you know, they've done pretty well at flattening the curve, we've been pretty kind of reticent to see movies in theaters. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, I mean, just because things are going a little bit better here and, you know, we start to get a little panicked just because there are a little over 400 cases in one single day, that doesn't mean that people are just treating things as normal. And it's not just the people, too. It's the the people running things, right? The movie theaters are the ones who are selling just half capacity here. Right. Right. And they're the ones who are telling you, you should be sitting, you know, one, have one seat of separation from you. So the movie theaters are only making up to half capacity. Right. You know, and even for something like Tenet, um, it wasn't quite, you know, I say full, but I mean half capacity. It wasn't quite full when I went on a Saturday morning, but that's maybe because I intentionally chose a Saturday morning, but it was largely full. It was mostly full. Yeah. I think, in Korea, IMAX screening sold out in mm. the first weekend it, it opened. Right. I think I, might, I think I must have seen it like it's third weekend or something. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we have a mutual friend who saw it at a totally empty theater. Yep. yep pretty yep. soon after it opened. That's right. So it's hard to quantify the success of the film. And some have gone so far, like Jason Hellerman at No Film School, to argue that Tenet should have actually gone the route of Mulan and stick to a digital-only release. <laughs> Nolan was very adamant about releasing it in theaters. He, yeah. He's a big proponent of the theatrical experience. And if you look, like Mulan hasn't really done that well. It's been right? getting a lot of pushback for a lot of reasons, too. But purely looking at the box office, I mean, yeah. we can talk about the other reasons, too, but... Right. I mean, Disney has refused to release the streaming numbers. You have to pay like, what, 30 bucks to see it on Disney Plus? On top of the the Disney Plus subscription you pay. That's right. Yeah. But we do know that the film has made only 57 million in the markets it did open, including China, which it was specifically catered for. I mean, it's, (laughs) right? Yes. It totally flopped in China. Yes. And it, you know, some people estimate, this is according to Forbes, that it made somewhere between 80 and 90 million in its first week on its streaming platform, right. which we have no way of knowing. But, I mean, are those good numbers? It costs, I think, over 200 million to, to make as well. 
And then, yeah, let's talk about the backlash, too. I mean, there's been a lot of pushback at Disney over their decision to, uh, what, publicly thank a Chinese agency which has been accused of placing as many as 2 million uh, Muslim Uyghurs in concentration camps in, in Xinjiang. Right, and they were filming in that area, too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just kind of like mind-boggling. Why? Why mm -hmm. would you shoot there? Why would you thank this security agency? Why would you do all of these things that seem like to just kind of make you... It, it, it looks like they're just catering to the Chinese Communist Party. Mm, right, right, right. Um, there is a... It was one of those uh, honest trailers I watched recently right. uh, on, on YouTube, and I think they showed a clip from a Transformers movie, and one of the lines is someone saying, like, oh, the central government will protect Hong Kong. You know, so <laughs> I mean, it's, <laughs> it's something that movies do, I think, that to try and cater to the, the Chinese central government. Right, <laughs> and the, the main actress also kind of showed her support for for the Chinese government, too, against oh, the Hong Kong protesters yeah, as well. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, you're right. That's the number I'm seeing, too, from Box Office Mojo is 57 million worldwide. Right. And it's just like it's still mind blowing to me that this whole thing was designed to cater to China mm -hmm. and Chinese audiences. And they're like, no, we don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like Disney, what <laughs> your strategy has clearly failed. Right, right, right. That, you know, Mulan does feel more like a flop to me than Tenet does. Well, that's the thing. Tenet is an original film. Yeah. It's very complicated. It's got a lot of like really tough ideas to figure out and get a handle on. Mm. So like if it makes say $350 or three, $400 million in the middle of a global pandemic, mm -hmm. I don't think that's too bad. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, uh, I saw some other comparisons, like it's about normal for an original blockbuster not made by Christopher Nolan. Yeah, so right. like you factor in the fact of, you know, there's a global pandemic that COVID's still very much active in a lot of places in the world. I don't see how that's a flop. I mean, A, he hasn't compromised his vision politically. Mm -hmm. B, he's staying true to wanting to open in theaters and not kind of you know, double down on this digital only strategy, which kind of goes against the theatrical experience. Yeah. And C, yeah, COVID. So, I mean, it's... Right. How do you judge this? But Because, I mean, if you look at the budget of about $205 million and you look at its worldwide gross of $251 million, I mean, it has already recouped profits. Right. I mean, there people are talking about marketing costs. Maybe it has to make 400 million or something sure, like that. Sure, but, sure. I mean, you know, I agree with you. That's that's pretty good for for a worldwide pandemic where it's not even opening in Los Angeles and New York City. Right. And it's not like it catered to one country mm -hmm. and then flopped there. Yeah. Like Chinese audiences have clearly rejected Mulan. Yeah. Whereas I think global audiences have kind of embraced Tenet. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's gotten a good to mixed response. Let's say that. Right, right. So it hasn't really like failed with anyone it was designed to appeal to. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of a mix of factors have contributed to it not making like $800 million or whatever right. it was going to make. Yeah, know? yeah, that's true. Um, but it, I, I, I wouldn't say, yeah, I guess I wouldn't say it's it's a flop because it's doing the, the best it can and it's doing quite well under the circumstances, especially as far as the worldwide gross is concerned. I'm glad that it didn't just go to streaming. Me too. I'm very glad it didn't just go to streaming. It's definitely a movie that you need to see that you need to see in, in, on the big screen. And that's really largely the case for Nolan films, especially since, say, um, he made 
like the Dark Knight. Yeah. Right. Or the Dark Knight Rises or something. It was kind of like he doesn't really do small movies anymore. No. And, uh, you know, arguably every film should be seen on the big screen. Right. You know, but I think especially epic films like this. I think it'd be it would have been fine if something like The Prestige went straight to Netflix. But Tenet, Interstellar, Dunkirk, these are types the types of movies that are best seen on like a big IMAX screen. Yeah. And I can still remember seeing The Prestige for the first time on the big screen and Mm -hmm. just loving it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm always a proponent of going to the cinema. Yeah, no matter definitely. no matter what, uh, but yeah, this is one that would have been such a different experience just watching it on streaming. Yeah, and that kind of raises another thing that you've mentioned before, which is the muffled dialogue. Because <laughs> if it was released <laughs> yeah. on streaming, you would be able to see it with subtitles, and maybe people wouldn't complain about that as much. I definitely wasn't able to hear everything either yeah. time that yeah. I watched it. This is a common problem with Nolan movies. Right. The muffled dialogue. Right. It is something that I do actually think gets a little bit improved when it does go to streaming. Right. Or, you know, DVD or whatever you, you do use. Uh, but, yeah, when, when there are... I, I mean, let's get this out of the way. If we're reviewing Tenet, I did like Tenet quite a lot. Right. I did I did like it a lot. But, yeah, for, for crying out loud, the sound was, was a problem for me. Um, because you're talking about complex issues of time inversion, but... Yeah, everyone is sort of talking like this, and you, just, <laughs> right. you don't really know what's going on. Yeah, and it doesn't really make sense, his justification for this sort of sound mixing, right? Mm-hmm. He, he kind of argues like, well, film should be something that you primarily feel. It's a visual thing. Mm. You shouldn't have to hear everything. A lot of dialogue is just kind of texture. Yeah. But it's like, no, but there's so much exposition. <laughs> like, you have to hear it, you know? Yeah. yeah, especially, that's so unusual coming from a guy who puts so much exposition in his script. Yeah. You know, that's... It's not like a Robert Altman film where you right. can, like, there's, you know, 20 conversations going on at once and you don't have to hear them. Yeah. Like, you can kind of tune in and out of, of each one. And it's more about texture and ambiance and things like that but Nolan films are really heavy on exposition they really are they really are Um, I mean Inception most of the dialogue in Inception is just them explaining the rules of the dreams to each other right right and Which tenet- is something that was very clever about that film, too, because he said that heist films, it's built into the genre that you have to explain how you're going to do it. Mm. And so that's like an exposition-friendly genre. Yes. Yeah. Um, tenet, okay, because, you know, the, the science, you know, and the theme behind Tenet um, is, is time inversion or entropy. And mm-hmm. this is something that I noticed watching that I think you could really boil down every Christopher Nolan movie to a one-word theme, for the most part. So, for instance, I would say Tenet is entropy. Mm-hmm. And I would say Interstellar is gravity. Mm-hmm. And the prestige is magic. Dark, uh, The Dark Knight is chaos. Batman Begins is fear. Mm. You know, things like that. Insomnia, insomnia. Right. Right? And Memento is memory. And with such a complex thing like um, like entropy, I will say I could really appreciate how a movie that did feel disorganized and cluttered and largely because of the sound. In a lot of ways, I just felt like I couldn't understand what was going on. But a movie that kind of did feel like a pile of bricks on the side of the road I had to sort of reorganize myself, mm-hmm. I could appreciate that because I could feel like Nolan did that on purpose. Right. Like, if, since it is about time inversion and entropy and stuff like that, like you've, I've, I've just thrown these bricks on the side and it's up to you to sort of put them back together. Yeah, that's a good point. It's almost like he he built the house and then destroyed it. Right. <laughs> and having known that it's been built, you know you can put it back together again. Yeah. So there were sometimes, especially during some of the action scenes, when 
I couldn't understand what the whole point of the actual thing that they were doing was. Right. But as it was going along, it was like, oh, this is what's happening. Yeah. And right. it's a really interesting way to see a film. Yes. You know, yeah. it's so, one of the key lines in the film is don't try to understand it, just feel it, right? Yeah. And so if he did it on purpose, that's cool. If he didn't do it on purpose, he got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> well, knowing Nolan at this point, I think he probably planned it. That's what I think, too. I mean, that's been a big criticism, I think, from the critics who haven't liked the film mm-hmm. as much. And this is something I get into a lot in the the YouTube video, which is the idea that Nolan just kind of makes empty spectacles, mm. that his films don't have a lot of substance. I mean, Jessica Kiang at the New York Times called Tenet, quote, a hugely expensive blissfully empty spectacle. Uh, A.A. Dowd at the A.V. Club took issue with its, quote, overcomplicated plot. And he said something which it's worth quoting this in full. Uh, Quote, once you figured out how it works, it just sits there like a Rolex ticking endlessly away on the nightstand. Oh, quote. (laughs) That's a bit harsh. Yeah. And I I really do feel like there is something going on at the film. Yeah. I definitely think it's a complicated plot. Yeah. And I did like it as well. Uh, it's probably worth getting into the specific things that we did like about it and maybe didn't like so much about mm-hmm. it. I mean, we can agree on the dialogue. Right, right. And the, the mixing not being great. Right, the dialogue and the mixing, but that's a thing that is very common with Nolan movies, and I think it's just the nature of the beast in this case. Yeah, yeah. hopefully he finds a way to kind of balance what he th- wants with what audiences need. Right, right. Uh, but as far as what I did like, I mean, John David Washington is fantastic. Yeah, what I was, a joy to watch! I was more mixed on him the uh, the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. I, I thought he was kind of dull, okay, to be honest. And the second time I watched, it, I'm like, no, no, I like this more, you know? Right. Well, because I mean, I also really liked him in Black Klansman. Right. You know, he I find him just like his father, just very char- charismatic and you know fun to watch on screen. And that doesn't always happen. You know, yeah. it doesn't always happen where you have a, a famous star who's got a kid and the kid wants to get into acting and you like them, you know as much or close to as much as the the father or the mother. Right. Whereas in, I think John David Washington is, you know, really good as the the son of Denzel. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about his character, I mean, he's literally named the protagonist. He doesn't have a lot to go on. And I think from that point of view, he did a pretty good job in terms of just giving him some sort of inner life, Mm -hmm. giving him enough charm and gravitas that, you know, he feels like a fully fleshed out person. I, I was more impressed probably with the performances of uh, Kenneth Branagh and uh, <laughs> Elizabeth Dubicki. I, I felt like their relationship was probably the emotional heart of the film. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, say, in Inception, um, Marianne Cotillard and, and DiCaprio's sort of relationship is very much the heart of the film. Yeah, yeah. They, they're definitely a little bit of a similarity there in that uh, that's just sort of the pain that the character feels. Yeah, they have a very tortured relationship. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, DiCaprio's character, Dom Cobb, feels very much like a, a, a tortured person. Mm. And so I, I felt like having the emotional center of the film be in the main character probably worked better in terms of just character than it did with, with Tenet's kind of setup. But it's an interesting way to do it, where, like, the emotional center of the film is displaced to characters who are not the main characters. Yeah, yeah, it is. And and in that way, I agree with you in that perhaps I would say Kenneth Branagh really stole the show. Yeah. Uh, really a very scary bad guy, very effective bad guy. Yeah, I, I 
thought he was kind of chewing the scenery, but in the sort of yeah. way I love. Like he, I loved every time he was on screen. Right, right. And uh, seeing it on the big IMAX, you know, when a, a close up of his really scowling, angry face. Yeah. He just there's a lot of menace there. Yeah, and it's just such an interesting relationship with with Dubicki, who I think carries a lot of emotional weight in this film as well. Just in terms of like having to be with this guy, this monster. Mm but also kind of like having some sort of relationship with Washington's character as well, where you can tell they have maybe a budding romance. Mm -hmm. You know, there's obviously feelings there. And then like Robert Pattinson, I thought was great. He's he's, always like interesting to watch. He's always good. Yeah, he's got this effortless charm. Yeah. And if he wants to be kind of heavier in terms of like the lighthouse or good time, he can be. Mm -hmm. But in this film, he was kind of called upon to be like, uh, an action player, but but in a lot of ways, like a a supporting, you know, uh, actor to to Washington's performance and kind of fleshing out what he does in his right. mission. Right. Nothing. Nothing close to comic relief, but definitely a bit more, a bit lighter. A, um, a breath of fresh air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit of a lighter tone to his uh, to his character than this very seriousness of of John David Washington. Right, and he's perfectly cast in that. I, I think he modeled his, his speech and behavior off of uh, Christopher Hitchens, yep, apparently. that's right. That's so right. I, I thought that was pretty interesting. And uh, Branagh had to learn how to speak backwards in a Russian accent <laughs> for that. That's crazy, yeah. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, when we talk about the things that we liked about this, I think you and I can both agree that the stunt work is fantastic. Yeah, especially with Washington. I mean, he, I, he did most of his own stunts. Well, a lot of these stunts that you see almost all of them are are just people moving backwards right. and things like that it, it, i mean i'm sure they must have reversed some stuff but they it wasn't did, yeah. it wasn't you know computers or anything like that it was like we're going to do our stunts backwards and in the case of Kenneth Branagh at one point he does have to speak backwards with a russian accent and stuff like that it's right. you know that's that was another thing was they didn't they didn't just reverse the speech you know which could right. have been easy but they just decided to actually do it Right, which is just I think really adds to the the fun of a Christopher Nolan movie. It was all the practicality in it, the, the practical effects, the 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 real stunt work. It's the, he he doesn't take the the quick way out, you know. No, and that's what I love about Tenet, and I love about all of Christopher Nolan's films. Yeah. Is like if he can get it in camera, he will. Right. If yeah, he'll he'll blow up a big ship, or he'll flip over a truck, or he'll crash an airplane. Right. And he'll actually do it. Right. And, you know, the fact that he's one of the few, like, original filmmakers, he makes original scripts that are really high concept, and he's able to pull it off. You know, he's able to, to make these blockbuster films. Yeah, yeah. Is, is impressive. And then, yeah, just like the, the practical effects, the 747, you know, he actually crashed a 747 <laughs> right. into a hangar. Apparently it was cheaper than actually doing it with computers. Yeah, I guess he got a deal <laughs> on a used airplane or an old airplane or something like that, right, which is right. amazing. Uh the time inverted action sequences I just thought were incredible. Yeah. Like especially the f- the first fight scene in Freeport, mm-hmm. that sort of like airport holding facility for rich people's stuff where right. they can hold it without paying taxes. <laughs> and there's this scene where it's the first time you see though the turnstiles. Yes. Those things that can invert time. 
And they see, and I like this is what's so fundamentally cool about what Nolan does with these action sequences. You see what's going to happen before it happens. Mm-hmm. And then you see this guy come out of one of the turnstiles in reverse. He's, you know, wearing this this full suit. You can't see his face. And he he fights Washington's character, sometimes forward, sometimes in reverse. Mm-hmm. And it's just like so disorienting, but also just so thrilling. Yeah. Because it, it just seems so menacing. This is a person from the future who's coming to fight you in a way you don't understand. Yeah. And you are, you're already seeing some of the outcome of it, but you don't know how it's going to happen. And it's kind of like a, a really cool twist on Hitchcock's notion of suspense, where it's like you can shock people by showing a bomb explode. But it's much better if you show the bomb ticking away under someone's seat and then showing them sit down, sitting down, and then just showing that playing out. Because, mm-hmm. like, again, you, you know the end result, right. but it's all about how it's yeah. going to happen and that feeling of suspense. And I think with a, that, that later example you gave, um, I mean, you can use your imagination as to how bad a bomb, uh, you know, a bomb going off can be, too. So, I mean, right. it's sort of just leading up to... Like, oh, man, this is going to happen. A lot of the people are going to die and stuff. Right. Rather than just a jump scare of a bomb going off. Right. Yeah. And it just, it's also, you can't help but wonder, who is this person? Yeah. You know, this person from the future who came to fight him in this weird style. Or like later on with the car chase scene, you know, you see a car flipped over in the in, in the distance. Mm-hmm. And then you realize it's inverted. So it's going to flip like how what part is that going to play in this car chase right right. that's what's so amazing about this is like you see this crash like how am i going to be a part of that right it's so thrilling and threatening and and just like suspenseful yeah and i think that's um it, it was you know that scene you're talking about that car chase is kind of when i had an opinion of a movie and changed it um, I guess, you know, in a way inverting it <laughs> <laughs> right? because, uh, that's sort of where I started to feel like, oh man, I, I don't know if Nolan's got it this time around. It's not really doing it for me. And that's kind of when I came along with my feeling that, you know, if it's a, about entropy, I can appreciate it because it feels so messy opinion. And then later on when you're answering all of these questions and that the first half is asking, I thought this is really cool. Yeah. This yeah. is, this is, this was worth it. Right. Yeah. I mean, he, he's gotten so good at action sequences. Because mm, I can has. remember seeing Batman Begins. Remember when he's he's in that Chinese prison, I think? Yeah. And, you know, there's kind of a fight scene early on where this guy kind of threatens, yep. you know, Bruce Wayne, uh, Christian Bale. And there's this really messy fight scene where it's just kind of a bunch of shaky cam. And I remember feeling at that time, like, Christopher Nolan's not a great action director. Mm. You know, he's great at n- complex narratives and things like that but his action direction is not very good. Right. And then you get to Tenet where like the action set pieces are just stunning. Yeah, yeah. And I really feel like he's just matured so much as an action director. Yeah, and he's had a lot of time, a lot of time to do it, but you know, I think Batman Begins certainly had its its moments. Uh, for sure, especially with um I I always love that bit where he's uh sort of uses the sonar to get the bats to come into the house and he drops down. I don't know if you'd right. call that a, an action sequence though, but it's certainly thrilling. Yeah, I, I think he's very much a, a cumulative filmmaker. So like one, whatever he learned from Batman mm. Begins and The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises, he's carrying forward. Yeah. And then he has Dunkirk where there's a lot of battle scenes there. And I will agree with you though. I, I do think you're right. The, the action sequences in The Dark Knight are much better than in Batman Begins. Right. Because I remember Batman Begins is a lot of things go boom. 
right uh, towards the end is just boom 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 and it's 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 fine <laughs> yeah yeah it's yeah. it's nothing like the dark knight and i think tenet is the best of his career yeah yeah i think so too and there's something so else that he does which i first noticed in inception and i get into this a lot in the youtube video but the kind of rich layer of conspiracy that's in his films where like a lot of the antagonists you don't even really see them mm. you feel their how threatening and menacing they are but it's kind of left up to your imagination like who's actually behind this whole thing yeah right because like the people waging world war three don't even exist yet and they're having an influence on the past from the future but most of these people you don't even see like kenneth Branagh, Sater, is their intermediary their, mm-hmm. their interloper right but the actual people you don't really see them and so like that first fight sequence in freeport like I'm thinking, is this one of the the soldiers, the agents from World War Three, mm-hmm. coming back to attack him? Yeah, and it just like it it gives this whole film like a much more uh, metaphysical sort of conspiracy, because if you think about like a James Bond film, for example, like he might get into a fight with someone, but it's quickly explained who they are, mm-hmm. you know, who they're working for. It's all resolved at the end. Where with Tenet, it's like these people could be from anywhere like we have no idea what sort of organization is behind this right right what sort of power they have and you know when i when i said i didn't i never really understood any sort of plan that they had right that huge battle at the end of the movie right i was just like who are these guys right (laughs) right like but i mean eventually like anything else in the film i did figure it out but there's always there was always that kind of sort of question of like who are these people? And, you know, I, I think maybe sometimes a little bit better than others. I agree with you with that the fight in the Freeport is great because it's a bit of a menacing thing. But the uh, my, my confusion as to who these soldiers that they're firing at are was maybe more uh, the criticism of the sound and stuff. Yeah, I always assumed they were Seder's agents or his private army. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I figured out eventually. Yeah, and so, like, you have this layer of, like, okay— Okay, I get it. These people are working for Seder. Yeah. They're part of this world. Yeah. But then, like, who's he getting those gold bricks from? Right, right. Right? He gets these invo- inverted gold bricks, presumably from the future. Mm-hmm. And, like, who's who's sending it to him? Yeah, yeah. But you, this is uh, something that I think Nolan does very well in his other films. Uh, there's a great sense of of um, menace and despair in Dunkirk, for instance. It's, right. You're just watching these boats just get torpedoed. And and you never see the soldiers. You never, you never see, see the, the German soldiers. Yeah, you never see the, the German soldiers. Uh, you never see the German pilots or anything like that. Yep. They're just sort of chasing you. Um, it also exists in The Dark Knight Rises a lot. It's one of his more, maybe more his bleakest movie. When um, I first noticed it in Inception, actually, right? Oh, because yeah, yeah. Especially in the scenes in uh, Mombasa, I think. Yeah. When Cobb is being chased by these people, presumably from Cobol Engineering, mm-hmm. but like you don't really know if they're real or not. Like you know, he he's running away from these people, and then suddenly the the alleyway narrows into this almost like maze mm-hmm. or this. It's like something out of a dream. Right, right. right. And you start to wonder, like, are these agents even real? Is this a dream? Are these figments of his imagination? Mm -hmm. And, yeah, having that sort of, like, layer of conspiracy, like, you don't know whether these people are real, whether they really exist or not, where they come from, what they're capable of. It just gives the film, like, almost this surreal, really menacing quality that I love. I, I do too. It, it happens a little bit in, inter, in Interstellar as well when you find out that 
Michael Caine's character has been lying the whole time. Right. And he's just shipped these people off to space. But, you know, it's like, well, there's no real hope. <laughs> well, and he's also interacting with people from the future there, too. Yeah, yeah, that's right? true. Because that's the true. humans of the future are kind of communicating with him, and they've designed that tesseract for him. Right, right. Yeah, so it, it's it's obviously part of his style, his approach to filmmaking. And and it's great, you know, when you, you don't really know where a menace is coming from, it's even more threatening, which is why... The story of how the Joker got his scars is so menacing because you don't you know what you have to imagine it. You have to imagine it, and you don't know what has actually happened to him. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what fuels a lot of Nolan's films, and and why they can be so popular despite being so complex. Because mm-hmm. audiences can sense that there's deeper motivations, there's a deeper conspiracy that really enriches the film, even if they don't get all the plot beats. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that that's why audiences can sit through a two and a half hour movie that's really complicated because they're like, okay, well, I get it. There's a force from the future. They work through time inversion. Okay, I get enough of that to be able to go off of. Like, right. that's rich enough. Right. That right. I don't need to understand who that guy is or that guy is. How many of the, not, I don't, I don't want to say plot twists, but how many of the sort of developments in the movie? do you think you sort of predicted or, or got? My wife got them all. <laughs> we were watching this film and she's just leaning on, she's just leaning to me saying, I think this is going to happen. And it's, right. it did. Like, right. <laughs> almost as if she had already seen the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she has. Maybe. She's right. inverted herself. She's inverted herself. But uh, yeah, she, she, she got them all. That's incredible. Yeah. Did you get any of them? See, I really don't like to guess. Like, yeah. I, I don't like to think about them because I want to be surprised. Right, right. So, like, only if I'm bored by a movie will I try to guess. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I, I guess I could do it either way, but um. I, I certainly. Yeah. I wasn't really. I wasn't really keen to to try and figure it out either. What did you think of a uh, Ludwig Gordson's score? It was very Zimmer esque. You know, he he did yeah. his job. I I think it's very clear that. To me, that Nolan wanted Zimmer in the first place. Zimmer said, I think he was doing Dune. Right. And got Ludwig Göransson. He did a very serviceable job. I, I this, The score was pretty good. I mean, the yeah, music I really is usually, enjoyed it. Yeah, the music is usually pretty good in, in Nolan's films. Yeah, I thought he added something a little different that, that Hans Zimmer usually doesn't do. Because Hans Zimmer is usually like big brass, mm-hmm. you know, super loud. Right. Or like just kind of more traditional strings and, and ambiance. Whereas Gornson added in stuff that I could only say is reminiscent of like trap music and stuff like that, like it, on his producing work with Childish Gambino, or you see like his his soundtrack work with with Black Panther and stuff like that, where he brought some of that into Tenet in a really interesting way. Like I, I've been listening to the soundtrack. I love the track Freeport, for example. It's just got this kind of like really on the edge of dissonant sort of thing and it's constantly like musical motifs that are constantly losing their shape and reorganizing and stuff like that it felt really kind of slippery and and jumpy Mm. in a way that perfectly fit this whole concept of time inversion something i I thought was kind of an interesting um, almost subconscious thing of tenet was that it was nolan using his same uh, cinematographer that he typically does, uh, Hoyt Van Hoytema. That's the guy that he's using these days. Yeah, he replaced Wally Pfister, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A and, few films back. And, uh, but he used a different editor. He used Jennifer uh, Lame. Uh, Jennifer Lame uh, previously worked on Hereditary, Manchester by the Sea, Marriage Story, and Francis Ha. Uh, but this is her first sort of big action sort of uh, blockbuster type movie. 
But in a way, I think that sort of contributed to Tenet having a kind of a slightly different feel to it than maybe other other Nolan films. That's a good and, point. And I think simply just because of the editor. But I think I often think if you notice editing, maybe it's a it's a problem. Or in the case of Shutter Island, there are some little tricks that are being done intentionally. You're not really supposed to notice editing. Right. But I do think it kind of contributed to something feeling just a little bit different, not in a good or bad way, just in you know, just in a way that is that is different. I can remember the the lead up to the the plane crash sequence being really cool. Just yeah, how like yeah. they they did the exposition in such a way that as they were explaining it, the events they were explaining were happening. Yeah. And it led right up to the moment of the the crash. And I also love how like it's really cool. Pattinson will be explaining something to Washington and then he might be explaining something to uh to Bicky's character, and she'll look over like she's looking away from him. But then in the next shot, it's as if Pattinson is looking back at her the way their eye lines and are yeah. positioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's almost like characters are talking to each other across times and across space mm, as well. Right, right. And it's cut in such a way where you can kind of like suggest that without, you know, really ma- being uh, explicit about it. Yeah, right, right, right. And Overall, I mean, you know, I think that's the thing with Nolan films is that the the technical aspects are always so tight. Yeah, and, and yeah. really creative. Like, yeah. they they always feel so fresh. Yeah, yeah, they do. And it sounds like you and I both just had mostly good things to say about Tenet. Where would you rank it among your 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 sort of the filmography that you've seen of, of Nolan? Well, like I said, like, I, I thought the... The characterization wasn't as good as, say, as in Inception. Mm-hmm. I thought, like, for example, some of the motivations of Seder weren't that convincing. This whole idea of, like, uh, if I can't have it, no one can. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a little bit weak, really. Um, but I would still rank it kind of, like, in the top half. Yeah. I would say, like, oh, it's, it's tough. <sighs> it's really tough. Because, like, <laughs> maybe Inception, for me, is, like, near the top. Yeah. Um, but then, like, I recently rewatched Memento. That's great. It's, it's I, awesome. I love the prestige. Yeah. Um, I love The Dark Knight. Yeah. I think uh, Dunkirk is a fantastic film that I'd love to go back to. That's that's one I feel like is has almost been forgotten by, if not the general public, by me, certainly. I've, I only saw right. it the one time in the movies, and I sort of feel like I do need to go back and revisit it. Right. Yeah. Right. But I, I do remember just being blown away by Dunkirk. I think perhaps Nolan it can be often like uh, like Kubrick in that your your favorite Nolan films are you've got your top two and then whatever one you saw last right you know he he might be kind of that way yeah definitely I there's definitely no Nolan films that I don't like like Insomnia is probably near the bottom for mm-hmm. me I'd uh, say The Dark Knight Rises is is kind of my least favorite one so yeah see even going back and rewatching some of that I'm like huh I'd like to see this again. You know? There, yeah, there are always sort of parts that were good, and then I just think it blows it at the end. But yeah. um, Interstellar is still my very favorite. I know that's a kind of in the minority. I'm in the mon- minority on that one. Well, that that was a very popular movie in some parts of the world. Yeah, yeah, I, I I loved it. I would, I think I'd agree with you. Maybe not my top three, but certainly top half. Yeah. Of of Nolan pictures, it's a it's a, it's a very good Nolan picture. Why do you think he made it? Why do I think he made it? I think because Nolan is a huge nerd who <laughs> is interested in stuff like gravity and time and dreams and memory, and I, right. I'm so grateful for that. That's that's that is something I came away with is I think Christopher Nolan is probably just a huge nerd, 
a big science nerd. <laughs> I, I think he definitely is. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I love him for it, you know? Like, he just wants to make movies about cool stuff. Right. You know? Do you think there are deeper sort of social and political motivations on his part? Like, do you uh, think he's thinking about something he wants to convey in terms of a social or political message? Maybe, um, maybe sometimes more than others. I think Interstellar definitely has kind of an environmental zeitgeist to it. Yeah. But um, something like something like Batman Begins is kind of just a cool Batman movie. Well, The Dark Knight is like nine eleven. I think it's it's got a lot of elements of of the war on terrorism and yes, and the response to that. And then Occupy Wall Street and The Dark Knight Rises. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you could maybe look at Dunkirk as as being a response to Brexit, right? And uh, Trump. But yeah, in terms of Tenet, like I, I think probably what motivates Nolan more than anything in terms of social and political ideals is just built into the fabric of his films. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't believe in digital technology. He doesn't believe in the sort of social environment it enables mm-hmm. in terms of social media and stuff like that. He is fundamentally against that. I mean, apparently he doesn't even own a phone or use email. Right, right. So he's very much a believer in science and he's very much a believer in humanism and how those two forces can work together to kind of like overcome anything. Yeah. And I think that in itself is a political message nowadays. I, I guess it could be. Yeah. If you're, if, you know, rejecting, I guess I mean, rejecting certain aspects of technology is stuff that I've done lately that I've been enjoying doing actually. Well, and also just like skepticism in, in scientific progress. Mm. Is, that's also big in Interstellar, too. Right. Yeah. You know, like there's a part in the movie where they say, like, the moon landings were fake. Right. And that's what they're teaching in our school. Right. Yeah. And also, I think just with social media, like the tribalism that's going on on the right and left, where people are just so kind of siloed into their own belief system, no one is really making kind of a universal, aspirational sort of appeal. Mm. He's like, you know... When he when he when Washington is is playing the main character when he when he got Was- Washington to play the main character I don't think he hired him to represent black people mm-hmm. he repre- he hired him to represent everyone right that's why he's the protagonist right he's right kind of a like a John Everyman sort of thing right you know and that's like an old school way of thinking it's like this guy isn't just like representing this slice of this one identity group or whatever this is a stand-in for the force that's going to save humanity. And his kind of ideal, I think, is like, we're all a part of this. We have to be. Mm -hmm. If for no other reason than because of climate change. It's like, it's not going to only kill white people or only kill black people. It's going to kill everyone. Mm. So it's like, we need science and we need a belief in, 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 you know, we need to come together as humans to deal with this. And I think that's baked into the fabric of every one of his films. And I think Nolan's movies really invite curiosity yeah, a lot. If um, you know you don't know much about entropy or time inversion and stuff, you're gonna go look it up after you watch Tenet. Right. Um, right. If you, you know, if you're curious about dreams, Inception is a great one to go watch. You know, and right. I mean, I can. A big reason I love Interstellar so much is because I'm a space nerd. Like, right. I just I love watching stuff like the History Channel did a thing called the Universe once. I was crazy about that series for a while. Right. You know, so I just I, I I greatly appreciate his his love for science. Yeah, me too. Yeah, right. And just his ability to kind of like, I guess, visualize it mm. and, and make a metaphor out of it. You yeah. Because like the the way the action sequences are filmed in Tenet is just really a great metaphor for entropy. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. 
for sure. Well, I mean, they literally do go backwards sometimes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's definitely confusing. Like I could, we could spend hours going through the plot details and how to turnstiles work and, you know, things like yeah. that. But at the end of the day, if you either enjoy his presentation of that mm-hmm. uh, or you don't. Yeah, and I did. I, I never really felt like I needed to sort of question the ins and outs of the turnstiles or anything like that. Right. You know, which is good because I think I think if you get bogged down in those details, it it's because maybe the movie was not presented so well. Right, and I have gone you know through Reddit forums and kind of seen what you know people's explanations mm. for, for you know diagrams of how turnstiles work, and it's like okay, it, it's convincing enough. Yeah, um, it's a good enough. There's a good enough MacGuffin, you know, with the algorithm at the heart of the film that I don't really care. Mm-hmm. And you know, like everyone from Hitchcock to you know countless other directors have done this where it's like it's not about the what the MacGuffin is it's about keeping you in suspense and keeping you entertained yeah and and watching this film and 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 moving you yeah and I think Nolan pulls that off quite well I do too and it's definitely a Nolan movie that is that was worthy of the name right was definitely worthy of the name well I'm glad that you liked it as much as I did yeah you know at the end of the day yeah I don't uh, really see what there is to to really dislike but of course you know it's all subjective yeah i think the most important thing is trying to contextualize the film yeah and i think it will be it's an important time in film history just simply because of the pandemic and theaters and yeah and everything around that i think it's a moment of transition but i think you know tenet will be remembered if if for no other reason than you know as as no one's attempt to kind of keep traditional cinema alive yeah, absolutely. And it is a very important time to try and do that. So uh, we encourage you to go see Tenet if you are in a position where you can safely do so. Yeah, in right. theaters. In theaters, yeah. But, yeah. you know, safe being the key word. Definitely. Safe being the key word. Well, yeah, don't forget to subscribe to us at Now It's Dark, the movie podcast. You can find us on YouTube and um, mostly where podcasts are found. We're always growing. Yeah, SoundCloud, yeah. Apple Podcasts, That's uh, right. Stitcher. That's right. We're uh, we're so always and growing, and we'll be back. You know, The Shining turned forty this year, and that's something that I know we want to do. Yeah, hint, talk hint. About. Yeah, <laughs> we, we might be doing a podcast on that. We might be doing it. So, okay. Well, I hope that you enjoy listening to this podcast, forwards and backwards. Yeah, and and be sure to check out the YouTube video as well, where uh, I kind of have a different take on Tenet and Nolan's filmmaking in general. Uh, quite different from the discussion we had, which was more focused on Tenet today. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, a little bit of, I guess, cro- cross-platform? Cross-platforming. Yeah, yeah, if that's even a, a word. <laughs> we made it one. <laughs> we made it one. All right, well, uh, thank you for listening today, and uh, hope to be back real soon. No, William, you. 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 No, William,
Emerald Phelps are. Emerald Phelps are. Hmm. 
Sweet heart, 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Verosina <laughs> Rome <laughs> Snowmoms, 
Nisser, Wetchelt, Phil Figgersley, Fiony, Dead, I Sat the Bark, Nemarsh, Fanamahavi, Fellerni, Vidros, Massamahavi, Sushbis Mercy, Nabaj, the Gator, British, the Huiveno, Tadmurf, Nithatne, No, Gustal, Lovensadis, and a gaster for the man, the Lurdles, in a Mershraxi, the Bigness, Thief, and a man, I wasn't even a subdugular. Gell, <laughs> 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 <
Holy feeler, mouth beat, and this must be the small flow. Gelsy, you're a skim nice for us, sitter from the shake of a touch. This nest skim, you'll resist it, eh? Nah, no, it's the one, you'll run this. Dubbing a sheriff in the mouth, fuzzy shit. Scalp mark, bobbing a cost, he's a hidden bar. Hammer from a bar, he's so nice, and I'll line our Hey, 
Must I begin to kill Fia Lilia Vera says Marky Bisksam and Fate Oni? Lothin the Sir Eighth and English Nelf Zoo out here. No, Zusip, Sucking at the work here for the Sending Sirness. I believe Ferus get our small knobs and each Venach that's a naive um divorce here for us. No more of us. I'm <laughs> 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 Non-fit-fur-an-a-dir-dosh-sish-ne-wich-duk-na-fu-i-l-bo-bar-pani-si-ne-ma-s-e-z-e-dosh-sish-de-ne-o-s-i-l-p-s-do-an-de-o-s-